Welcome to the Agency Profit Podcast, a show dedicated to going deep space on agency operations, which is just as nerdy as it sounds. I'm your host, Marcel Petipoff. I'm the CEO of Parakeeto, a firm that helps digital and creative agencies measure and improve their profitability. Join me as I interview some of the smartest thought leaders and agency owners in our space and go deep into operations and metrics and all the other things you need to get right so you can spend less time worrying about operations and more time executing on your vision. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Agency Profit Podcast. I'm excited today to have one of our very few repeat guests. The last time he joined us on the show was back in 2019, where we really unpacked his book at the time, Accelerating Your Agency, and talked about a whole bunch of really great frameworks, the $0 change order, which to this day is one of my favorite kind of like little nuggets that has such a huge impact on limiting scope creep. So I'll link to that episode in the show notes. But today, we're welcoming back Jason Swank, who if you don't know about Jason. He is one of the prominent thought leaders and coaches for digital agencies in the space. He was one of the people that I was consuming his content when I first got into the industry, built and sold his own agency that worked with big companies like AT&T, Hitachi, Lotus, started coaching agencies, has been doing that for a number of years, is also an investor in a fast-growing eight-figure EBITDA agency, and just published a new book, that at the time of this recording is called The Perfect Digital Agency Avalanche, but we'll might maybe have a different title by the time you listen to this. So with all of that, Jason, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure. Um, and I'm really excited today to talk about something that's a little bit more meta. You've been in the game for some time, all the way back to working for you know one of the big five consulting firms at the time and then starting your own business and now coaching agencies for a number of years. So you've seen a lot of things change in our industry. So I'm really excited to dig into your perspective on what's changing, where we're going, and how to adapt as an agency to make sure that we're doing things in the right way to set ourselves up for success. But before we do any of that, for everyone listening, what do you do and who do you serve? Yeah, so I uh, serve digital agency owners. Uh, I help them turn their agency burden because a lot of times we're accidental agency owners, right? And uh, people, we knew how to do something cool and someone offered us money and they were accidental. So I helped them turn their agency burden into an asset that produced wealth, freedom, and, uh, and, and just whatever they want to uh, you know, turn that into. Amazing, and uh, for everyone listening, you are one of those people that also walks the talk. You have a successful business that doesn't run your life. You have a lot of freedom to enjoy, you know, your other interests. And so um, this is coming from a place of experience. So I want to start with um, just a little bit of backstory. So you started as a, a web developer before starting your own firm. Um, at that time, what was it like to run an agency and what was really different from how things look today? Well, I mean, oh my gosh, I mean, we could talk for for years on how it was different. I mean, I started my agency in 99, so there was no social media. There was no Google. I remember my first client <laughs> asking me for an invoice, and I didn't know what an invoice was. I had to ask my dad because I couldn't go on the Internet to search for it. <laughs> there was nothing there because um, we were basically kind of creating websites for for people. So it's, it's really changed. You know, we used to work in an office, you know, I think COVID's really changed that where everyone's remote and now you have a, a plethora of talent. You can reach anywhere and everywhere, um, where it's not just based on your location. Cause you know, our agency, we, we started 
and founded it in Atlanta. And it was just a great spot to attract programmers and developers and designers and marketers. You know, it was just a, a really big city versus the city I live in now, Durango, Colorado. Um, if I was trying to, you know, it was nothing against Durango, but it's, uh, it's not a really tech town. It's more of a get out in the mountains and hike. <laughs> so, yeah. So obviously very, very different era. And, you know, my perspective, I guess my observation, and maybe you can validate if this was the case or not, is there's a, a few things that I think were different back then. The first is predominantly billing for time was just kind of the norm. It's what everybody expected. I think digital agencies and even advertising agencies all were kind of offshoots from professional consulting and, and professional services who still predominantly bill on time. So that was, I think, what a lot of the, the thinking, a lot of the business systems, a lot of how you would architect the business model tended to just be based on those norms. And my sense is that it was also much more local in terms of competition. You were usually thinking of competition in terms of like who is in your city or the couple cities around you and the talent to your point was also hyper localized. And so very different environment to be building an agency. And then today when to your point, competition and talent is globalized and, you know, pricing models have proliferated and agencies now typically are billing in ways that allow them to potentially reap a lot more upside, but also take on a lot more risk. Um, does that align with kind of your high level, your view into what's changed at the business model level? When we started, you know, really your niche when you start an agency a long time ago was your local marketing because we just couldn't reach so many people. I, I remember literally going through the yellow pages and calling people and going, for people knowing what Yellow Pages is, it's not the big book that you sit on to see over the dashboard, but it was actually had phone numbers in there. And that's when we had the rotary phones, right? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that's where all the gray hair comes from. But, but yeah, we were very local and we weren't specialized in the very beginning. But then as we started getting more, like, I remember I got to a point where I was really literally about to close down the agency. And I was like, well, let's look at the best clients I have and which ones do we want to go after and started really figuring out our niche. And then we started winning clients all over the, you know, the U S now we didn't have any international clients at that time, but then that really kind of started it. And that was around 2008, maybe um, when we could kind of do that. And this was even like social media started coming out. And I think the big difference back then was yes on billing, Hourly billing was huge. And we would charge basically more for execution than strategy because people didn't trust us, right? Because we weren't putting out content. So how could they trust us until they actually engaged with us? Does it make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, and I mean, that was also a time when there's a lot more spec work, a lot more RFPs, a lot more agency of record stuff going on. So uh, I think it, that makes a lot of sense. It was a way to compensate for the lack of trust building ability in the market, a, a firm or a client had to kind of put everyone through the pitch circus and ask for spec work because they didn't really have a whole other, a lot of other ways to validate expertise other than a portfolio, which at that time I would imagine would have been like printed and mailed to you. Oh, I used to have a briefcase, a metal briefcase. I would carry our direct mail portfolio around. Um, it was pretty, pretty hilarious, but, but yeah, I mean, I mean, even in, we were one of the first to really start selling on kind of looking at their data, right? Um, we developed a, a social CRM 
before there was really all of these things out there where I remember we would take all the data from Twitter around conversations. So for example, we went to Porsche and we said, Porsche, we've extracted out all the data that people are talking about your brand, Maserati, Ferrari, and Lamborghini. And we want to let you know which are the key words and what are the phrases we need to go after. Then we also turned around and did this to Lotus to see who we would land first. And we actually land Lotus because, you know, they love the data and we sold the data, right? And that was the big difference. And, and especially now with artificial intelligence, right? If you have the data and you can run it through AI and then you come up with, you know, AI helps you come up with a strategy. I mean, it's a game changer. I mean, it's, it's so easy to do an agency right now. Like if I could go back in time, like I would have been like, holy cow, like just destroyed everybody. Yeah. So that leads perfectly into my next question, which is, you know, if you look at today versus then, what do you think is easier and what do you think has become actually more difficult for agencies compared to the, the last two decades, let's say? What's gotten easier is obviously the technology, right? Like by far. Uh, also finding global talent. Um, back in the day, we bought a company in Costa Rica because there were only about an hour um, uh, difference in our Eastern time, but it was cheaper work. But we didn't want to go over, you know, really overseas because, you know, just the time difference and that kind of stuff. But, um, and then also too, flexibility. You know, think about, we don't care how many hours people work as long as they get the, the stuff done. Um, versus, I remember, I mean, even when I had the systems and their agency running everything, I felt like I had to be the first one in and the, the last one out. And I would literally just sit in my office doing nothing just because I would want them to think I'm working, even though I didn't have to work. And looking back at that, I'm like, what? That was the dumbest thing ever. I should have gone out. Like that would have given, I gave them more freedom to do what they wanted. So it's, uh, but yeah, it's, it's all a lot better, but it's also kind of frightening too, to some, because a lot, I hear a lot of agency owners are like, well, we've done it this way all the time. I'm like, well, you're not going to be doing it this way next year. Cause you're going to be out of business. <laughs> So with all of that, Jason, we talked about some of the things that have changed, some of the things that have gotten a lot easier, obviously, access to talent, access to technology, certainly all come a long way. What do you think has become more difficult about running an agency compared to that time? Competition. <laughs> I mean, anybody and everybody can run an agency and they say they're the expert. You know, I used to have a motto uh, when we were designing websites is like friends don't let friends design websites. That, that was like our competition. Um, and there was like really traditional marketing agencies. But now there's agencies for everything. And you can be a one man person with an agency. And there's just so and what I feel that most people need to do is like what we're doing. You have to be creating content. You have to be providing them value in order to really separate yourself from everybody else, right? Like kind of like, uh, you know, in one of the books that I, I've, I've written, you know, I always talk about like, how can you position yourself as the trusted advisor? How can you ask the right questions to the challenges that people are actually helping you know, or, you know, that are struggling with and how can you create a solution for them that actually solves it? You know, so like on this podcast, you could do that, right? You can do that through lead magnets or whatever it is. Like 
give them helpful information to trust you. A perfect example of this, Gary Vaynerchuk. He blew up the agency world and a lot of the traditional agencies because he put out so much content, all these big brands wanted to work with him. So it obviously works. Do you want some free resources to help you measure and improve your profitability? If you do, then I want to tell you about our agency profitability toolkit, which you can grab absolutely free in the show notes or by heading to parakeeto.com forward slash toolkit. It's packed with training videos, cheat sheets, templates, and all kinds of other great resources to help you start measuring and improving the essential metrics that are going to drive better profitability in your business. And it's helped thousands of other agencies around the world do the same. So I want to encourage you to go and grab a copy of that. And if you'd rather get in the fast lane and just have our team of experts guide you through the process of measuring and improving your profitability, then I want to encourage you to apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. And with that, I want to thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the episode and I'll let you get back to it. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's kind of the double-edged sword, right, of the technology is that it's lowered the barrier to entry and it's created a lot of noise. And so it, it reinforces the need for you to create legitimate value in the marketplace and to be consistent with that. And it's something that you and I were talking about even before we hit record, right? It's just being willing to go in and for the long haul, add value, create that content. And if you do that long enough, eventually the cream will rise to the top. Um, and this is interesting because I have this thesis that you know, uh, we've seen a lot more specialization. That's part of one of the tactics uh, that people are going to use to try and develop more expertise or perception of expertise in the marketplace, right? Is to get more and more specific. You went on that path. I would imagine in 99, just being a digital agency was a niche already. <laughs> and then by 2008, it oh, yeah. was no it longer totally a niche. Was. So you, you had to zoom in some more. And we've seen people just like the level you have to zoom in to become differentiated is increasingly getting specific. What other things do you think are important in this kind of a hyper-competitive climate for an agency to really set themselves up for success? Well, you gotta keep up with trends. So you gotta, like, because if you're positioning yourself as the trusted advisor, your clients are gonna be coming to you for what's the next. Hey, how are you using AI? How are you using this tool? You know, their expectations are so much higher. And you should actually be looking at oh, like, how can I take all this client's data and really dive into it? I mean, that's, you kind of alluded to it a little, uh, a little while ago when we were talking about, you know, not just charging on hourly, but kind of taking, a, assuming a little bit of the risk. Like I always like the hybrid model. I've had many mastermind clients um, come to us where they were doing kind of a fixed cost or hourly model. I said, why don't you charge where you're making 20% margins on this, but then put a performance model on top of it. And we, we have people coming back with like million dollar checks because they're providing so much value to them, you know, to that client, or maybe coming back with $200,000 checks or whatever, whatever number it is. But now you're, they're like, Hey, you got some skin in the game. We're going to do something and we're going to build it. So, you know, I think, you know, um, you got to keep up with the trends. You got to understand the client expectations and you got to run the data. Um, but it's, it's never been easier to run the data than, than it is right now. Yeah. And, and this, the, the, something that you said there, I think is really important, which is staying abreast of the change. Right. And 
I think for somebody that's not niched, I can't imagine how stressful that would be because the surface area you're trying to track and keep up with is just so wide. And so that's one of the useful proxies of niching down is it reduces that surface area to something that ideally you're really interested in, you're an expert in, and then you can stay on top of you know being diligent about the trends. But then the other side of that, to your point, is how you actually deliver that value and the scope, the surface area of that system, that process that is becomes repeatable enough that you can charge based on performance and know that you're going to win more times than you lose. And I think this is something that I feel really bullish on, which is the next frontier of specialization is not your specialization to the market, but your specialization as an agency internally about what work you do and what work you don't do. You push that to partners, you refer to other agencies for, I think streamlining the inside of the business is kind of that next level that is part of that is done for you when you niche and you narrow the service line. But I'm seeing agencies become very successful by saying, you know what, we're going to do SEO strategy, but we're not going to do any of the backlink building or content writing. We're going to push that out. What has been your experience with how the insides of an agency, once they figured out how to position and get clients, like how is that shifting for the clients that you're, you're working with in your program? Yeah, one of the, one of the exercises I, I tell our mastermind members to do and, and do this at least once a year, if not once a quarter is, Look at who are your most profitable clients and figure that out. Also, you need to look at what are your most profitable services and list out all the services you're doing. And a lot of agencies, like you were saying, is like they have eight to 10 different services. I'm like, holy cow. I was like, how can you keep up with trends and how can you deliver on all this? But then you also got to look at those and say, for the ones that are not as profitable or the ones that are actually losing money, does this lead to the core offer that you have? Like, is this your foot in the door? And if it doesn't lead to your core offer and it's not the most profitable, you should delete that. Or what you should do, and you really want to do that, is look at how can I streamline that service or that solution where it is profitable for us and it is profitable for the client as well. Like we're delivering amazing results. Because if you're not delivering amazing results, like there's go stop listening to this podcast stop like figure that shit out first <laughs> because there's a lot of people that don't deliver deliver good results but that's what i would do yeah it's a great practice and um something that i think a lot of people struggle with they they get focused on qual quantity of revenue they lose sight of the quality of revenue and not only that the operational drag of having a bunch of things that are not going well and the emotional drag of having a bunch of clients that are constantly upset. And then your best clients, to your point, you're not paying as much attention to because they're not the, the thing that's broken and burning the hottest. Um, so really, really key to carve those things out. What advice do you have for a firm owner that discovers there's this thing that's generating, you know, maybe material revenue, but is creating indigestion in the business on how to start moving that out and replacing it with things that are working better? I mean, it starts with identifying it and then figuring out, can I fix it from internal? Like truly, can you fix it internal with the team that you have? And if you can't, and you have a profitable service, go put all your eggs into that. I can promise you it's going to work because obviously you're profitable for a reason and your clients are getting amazing results from it. So why don't you want to do more of that? People try to get into too much. Like, Here's the, here's the kiss of death. You start being really specific at a service that you know, you do it really well. The client really likes working with you and they ask you to do something you've never done before. 
and you, you like money and you say, yes, I'll do that. And you start doing that and you're not really good at it. And it actually hurts. And at the end of the day, it's like, that is going to be the anchor that is really pulling behind the ship. That's going to sink you eventually. Um, if you let it, because I, I mean, you chat with agency owners all the time, like I do. And I'm like, there's little tweaks that you can do in order to have a substantial gain. And if you can get rid of some of the pain in the butt things that you're doing right now that you shouldn't be doing, you know, there's, there's no holding you back. There's no, there's no ceiling. Jason, you've shared a lot of uh, great stuff today. And as you mentioned earlier, you are a person that puts a lot of value out into the world at no cost. We're going to be linking to a bunch of it in the show notes. But for those listening, what are the things that you think they should be checking out uh, some of your most recent work? Yeah, I mean, if, if, if you go to just uh, swank.it, um, it will take us uh, take you to our website where we put out thousands of pieces of content. So it's just S-W-E-N-K dot it. You know, check us out on YouTube or check out the books that we're putting out. We got a ton of books coming out around attracting your perfect client, how to build a sales team that's self-sustaining without the agency owner doing all the sales. And then we have a book also coming out on selling your agency or having the option to sell your agency. Um, you know, if you want to, you know, if that's a, if, if that's something that interests you. So just type out my name and in, in Amazon and you'll see the Kindle books and the audiobooks and all that kind of stuff there for you. Yep, absolutely. Or you can scroll down and in the show notes, we'll have a link to swank.it. Uh, YouTube, the Smart Agency Masterclass podcast, which I recommend everyone subscribe to, uh, Jason's author page on Amazon, and lots of the other content that you've created. And before you go, I have to ask you, if swank is a, swanking it is a verb, what does it mean to swank it? Just, well, it's just attack, <laughs> attack the day. Um, you know, just, there was a quote, I think The Rock shared maybe many years ago, but it's like, I, and I'm going to butcher it. It's just like, you can do it tomorrow or you can do it now. And that's how I've always treated kind of swank it is like, do it now. Like what, why put off what you can do now? Like the best, the best time to plant a tree is 10 years ago or today. <laughs> there you have it. So for everyone listening, go out and swank it and have a swank day. And Jason, thank you for being here with us today. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Awesome. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you've ever found yourself thinking, man, I get so much value from this podcast. I wish there was something I could do to return the favor. Well, today's your lucky day because you can leave us a review wherever you're listening to this. And it is incredibly helpful. Of course, if you haven't grabbed a free copy of the Agency Profit Toolkit, go and get that. It's got tons of free resources to help you improve your profitability. If you're looking to get in the fast lane and get help from experts to improve your profitability and measure your most important metrics, then apply for a consultation at parakeeta.com. We'd love to chat with you and figure out how we can help. With all of that, thank you so much for being a listener, and we will see you on the next episode.
Thanks for having me.